This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Bible turn to the book of Matthew tonight. We're continuing our series on fasting. Matthew chapter 4 uh, is where we're going to be at. A uh, familiar passage of scripture uh, as we come to it uh, as Jesus begins his earthly ministry uh, here in Matthew chapter 4. Continuing our series on fasting. This is message number 3. The last two are uh, really kind of laying a foundation. What is fasting? Why do we fast? Um, what are some reasons uh, behind why we would fast? And then tonight, just really quick overview, practical uh, 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 kind of a quick overview and context of fasting, uh, and then we'll get into some meat and potatoes of tonight. Until tonight's message, fasting for battle preparation. We'll see why uh, in just a minute as we get into this passage here uh, this evening. Matthew chapter 4, uh, we find uh, Jesus Christ in, at the end of Matthew chapter 3 has just been baptized, uh, and so uh, we find Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter 4. Verse number 1, when Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil... When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungered. Now, uh, pause here. Verse number two is what we call, again, review, absolute fast and the fact that Jesus took no food or water for 40 days. But it's also referred to as a supernatural absolute fast because if you and I tried to do that, you will surely die. You can't go 40 days and 40 nights without eating or drinking. You will die. Uh, but Jesus was sustained by the Spirit. You say, I'll be sustained by the Spirit. No, you won't. Guarantee you. Uh, and so don't try it. Uh, this is not a feat that you should try to see how far you can make it because you will certainly perish. Uh, supernatural absolute fast, verse number two. Verse number three, when the tempter came, which is the devil, came unto him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil takes them up to the holy city and set them on a pinnacle of the temple and said, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it's written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, lest they, they, their hand, and in their hands... They shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Verse number 8, Again, the devil taketh them up to an exceeding high mountain, and showeth them all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And said unto them, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it's written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Now, before we get into this, this is not uh, part of tonight's message. This is just a good helpful tip. What the world and false gospel preaching Christianity offers you are all the same things that the devil offered Jesus. Keep that in mind. The world wants to offer you prominence. Uh, the world wants you to boast in your own power. Uh, the world wants to give you the ability to have the world. Uh, these are all the things that devil tempted Jesus with. The prosperity gospel that says uh, it's all about you. God just wants to bless you. God wants to give you things. God wants to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. These are all the things that Jesus himself was tempted by. Don't fall for the trap. It's a trick. 
As we get into fasting, let me say from the get-go, I'm not a medical doctor. I can't give you information on fasting, what's good for your health and what's not. Uh, that's not my place. I'm approaching this from a spiritual perspective. As we look at fasting from a spiritual uh, perspective, we're talking about reducing the intake of food and replacing these activities with the exercise of prayer and preoccupation with spiritual concerns. whole idea behind fasting is not that just I skip a meal uh, we do that from time to time. Uh, for example, I had lunch uh, yesterday afternoon at about 3 o'clock, and so I technically skipped lunch. Uh, I, I didn't eat breakfast that morning. Uh, I had coffee. Coffee's a good breakfast, if you ask me. I had coffee that morning and didn't eat lunch until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Not because I was fasting and praying and seeking the face of God and spending time in Scripture. I just got super busy, and I had a lot of stuff going on. I didn't want to break my stride. I, man, I was going and going and going, and it was like 3 o'clock. It was like, I'm starving, I gotta eat. And let me just tell you, I had Chick-fil-A at the mall and it was just like, mmm. It it's a surreal experience to be eating waffle fries in the Alamona food court. It's just, it, that's spiritual, okay? <laughs> Anyways, moving on. Um, but just to skip a meal because you got busy, that's not spiritual fasting. Uh, that's not what the Bible's talking about. It's talking about purposely making yourself empty for the purpose of uh, being with God, prayer, Bible reading, scripture meditation, repentance, some spiritual act uh, that I'm going to do for the purpose of being closer to God. Biblical fasting always deals with food. The Greek word that's used uh, in the Bible means one who is literally empty or one who is hungry. So again, while it's definitely a good idea for you to take a break from social media, don't call it a social media fast because it's not really the, the thing that it is. Uh, again, I'm going to, you know, Turn off all the apps on my cell phone and only use it for phone calls tomorrow. I'm, I'm taking a phone fast. You can use that if you want to. If it helps you, it probably would help you. But it's not what we, call, what we refer to as a biblical fast. Biblical fasts always dealt with food 100% of the time. So, again, I've known people who want to, you know, remember people in the world that don't have clean drinking water, and so they don't drink water for a day. Uh, that would be an example of a fast because I'm doing without water for a day. But uh, I'm not going to take a, a hot shower tonight because not everybody has hot water. That, that might be helpful for you, but it's not necessarily the definition of a fast. So we need to remember that fasting always deals with our intake of food or water. Three types of fasts we see in the Bible. Again, all this is review, so I'm kind of going through it pretty quickly. First type of fast, what we call a normal fast. Uh, this is going to be no solid foods, but you're going to intake uh, liquids during this time. Uh, for me, when I go for an extended period of time on maybe a normal fast, I'll do things like uh, maybe a protein shake or maybe a, a, a juice smoothie or something along those lines just to make sure that I keep my calories up, that I keep my uh, vitamins and minerals and protein and carbohydrates and stuff like that up, especially if you're going to do it for an extended period of time because during this time, we, we still need to think about our health and what's helpful for us from that perspective. Second type of fast that we have is what's referred to as a partial fast. The most uh, common fast we see in the Bible, this is Daniel's fast, where Daniel says, I'm not going to eat meat. I'm just going to uh, take vegetables during this time to prove a point uh, that I don't need the king's meat to, uh, to thrive. I can, I can trust in the Lord for this. And so Daniel didn't eat meat for a certain period of time. And so you might say, hey, I'm not going to have uh, intake any bread for the next week, or I'm going to uh, uh, do away with coffee for the next week. And, and Again, this is just not a matter of, hey, I'm going to skip my morning coffee uh, and just go on with life. Hey, my time that I would normally sit with a cup of coffee, I'm going to sit with that time uh, with, with my face in God's word. I'm going to replace that time where I would normally make myself a cup of coffee and maybe scroll my news feed on my phone. I'm going to replace that time with sitting with God's word, no coffee today, uh, but because I want to be with God. 
You might say, hey, I'm going to take a break from eating meat for a week. That would be a terrible fast in my estimation. But, uh, but I've been on a broccoli fast for the last 45 years. You can totally do it uh, anytime. So uh, that would be an example of a partial fast. And so um, I'm fasting from all vegetables, to, if the truth be told. Um, potatoes are vegetables, I, I, I heard. So I'm going to take that one and, and run with that. But partial fast, I'm doing away with a certain type of food uh, for a certain period of time. Again, for the purpose of drawing closer to God. Last type of fast, absolute fast, which is what Jesus did. No food, no water. Again, Jesus was a supernatural fast uh, in this case here. And so absolute fast, you shouldn't do it for uh, an extended period of time for sure. Uh, Anything past 24 hours, you're putting your health at great risk. And so you just need to be cognizant of that. Again, when we fast, we always fast for a purpose. I never fast because, uh, you know, I'm trying to get this weird mystical connection with God in some way, or uh, I'm fasting and it makes my, my body more in tune with the universe, or I'm fasting and so it makes my ears more attentive to hearing, you know, God's voice in the day-to-day life. It's not weird. It's not mystical. It's always for a specific purpose. I'm fasting because I want to spend time with God. I'm fasting because I want to be close with God. I'm fasting because I need uh, to align my heart with the heart of God. Uh, There's always a purpose behind it. Again, Jesus in this case, uh, verse number two, supernatural, 40-day, no food, no water, sustained by God and God alone. Now, it's important to note there's only two other people in the Bible that, that did a sustained supernatural absolute fast for 40 days. Those two people we talked about, are again, review for you. Elijah and Moses were the only two people. Now, again, I think it's unique. Uh, Now, again, I'm not trying to draw lines where there's not lines in the Bible. We talked about that this morning. But I just think it's unique that when Jesus Christ went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and spent time with God, there were two guys that were there. Anybody remember who they were? Moses and Elijah. Now, again, does the 40-day supernatural fast mean that you get to go to the Mount of Transfiguration? I didn't say that. Okay, so again, that would be an example, perfect example of drawing lines where there are no lines. Uh, I just thought it was kind of unique as we think about uh, Jesus in this case. Now, we find Jesus in a period of time where you would say would be a spiritual high. Jesus is getting ready to begin his earthly ministry. Uh, He's getting ready to uh, begin to really do the work that God's called him to do. Everything up to this point has kind of uh, been almost in kind of a waiting period, uh, a preparation period, if you will, for the work that Jesus is really going to begin to do. And he kind of kicks this off with his baptism uh, in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. Now, Sometimes people think that temptation comes when we're at our lowest, when things are just absolutely, totally terrible, awful. Many times temptation comes when we're riding that spiritual high. For example, Elijah calls down fire from heaven, defeats the 700 prophets of Baal. I mean, you talk about a guy that's riding high, and what does he do? He goes out in the middle of the wilderness and asks God to take his life. Because he had come so low. And so temptation comes on good days and bad days, highs, lows, mountains, valleys. It's all the same. Temptation will always be there. Now, we need to begin to think about how we prepare for this. Uh, How do we get ready to uh, face temptation? Fasting prepares us to fight. Again, anything that you do in life, you should prepare for it if you have the capability 
there's a man early on in, in our uh, church history uh, here at Huicala. We were probably maybe six months old or so. And there was a guy who had come in and had said he was getting ready to go to prison for some crimes that he had committed and asked me if I could help him through the process. And so uh, I, I did, and you know, I wrote letters to the judge, asked for leniency. And uh, this guy really was making a, a, a real effort to walk with Jesus, and I'd taken him through our discipleship program, was really trying to pour into this guy's life. And, and so I said, well, when's your sentencing date? And he told me what it was, and it was about three months out. And I said, let's take the next 90 days. Let's just say worst case scenario, you get five years. Let's take the next 90 days and prepare for the best that we can, what it'll be like when you get there. And he goes, what does that even mean? Man, we're going to focus on God's word. We're going to focus on what it means to be a godly man. We're going to focus on our faith and why we believe what we believe. Uh, we're going to get in a really good routine of spending time in prayer and uh, spending time with God, uh, you know, running from temptation. Uh, man, we're going to become really good at confessing our faults and confessing our sin and repenting before God. Like, like we're, we're going to do this. And so we did for the next 90 days. He and I met probably three or four times a week and began this process of doing that. Uh, ended up getting a sentence from the judge. It was about what we had expected, and uh, he went to the uh, federal detention center over by the airport, and I got to visit him in, in prison, uh, and I couldn't take anything in there, uh, and I couldn't send him stuff in the mail, but you could send packages if they came from, like, Amazon, and so uh, I was sending him, I said, hey, whenever you finish a book, uh, let me know, and I'm going to send you a new book when you're in there, and so what were we doing? We were basically training for this process of facing difficulty in life. And so when we begin to train for difficulty that we'll face, you can guarantee you mark it down, you're going to face temptation, most of us, before the, the day is over today. How do we prepare for that? How do we train for something like that when it comes? Because we will face temptation, guaranteed. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And we need to train and prepare for it. I was delighted to hear uh, my son Thatcher is uh, preparing for the Honolulu Marathon. Um, pumped for you, Thatch, 26.2 uh, miles. He's never ran a marathon before. Uh, for those of you that don't know, the Honolulu Marathon kicks off in what, two weeks, bud? Is that what it is? Two weeks from today. Uh, and so we were talking this past weekend, and I said, hey, you know, what's your, uh, what's your training look like? What's your, well, I'm running a little bit here, running a little bit there, and stuff like that. And he said, uh, man, and so we were driving down the road, and I said, hey, if, if you started here and run to this stop sign and run back, I said, that'll give you about nine miles. I clocked it on the car for you here. It'll give you right about nine miles. And he goes, oh, that's a long ways. I'm not great at math, but that's approximately a third of 26.2 miles. And this, you don't want to run nine miles today, but you're going to run 26 miles in two weeks. And so I'm not guessing, I don't want to pass any judgment on anybody, but I would guess his training plan is more than likely lacking a little bit there, right? I don't want to pass judgment on you, bud, but I think you might be maybe not training the way that you should for something like that, right? But here's the thing. We know we're going to face temptation, right? How do you prepare for that? How do you train for that? You might look at that and go, well, I don't even know how to train for that. Good. I'm getting ready to help you with that. Fasting will help you do that. In, in Jesus' case, Jesus, this is really important that you get this. Jesus always gave us an example to follow. Always. Think of this. Put your thinking cap on. I'm going to ask you a deep theological question. Did Jesus need to be baptized? Like requirement, must be baptized. No. Did, did Jesus have to get saved? No, Jesus was salvation. 
He didn't have to be baptized. But why did he get baptized? To give us an example to follow, to model for us. Here's what followers of me will do as an act of identification with me. So then we ask this next question. So that was, again, if you're looking in your Bible, that was the end of uh, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse number 16, and Jesus, after he was baptized, went straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were open unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my son, beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Turn the page in my Bible, Matthew 4, 1, then Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and when he had fasted. So Jesus didn't have to be baptized, we gathered that, he did it to give us an example to follow. Second question, did Jesus have to fast? Was he required to fast? The question would be, why would Jesus fast? Repentance of sin? No. Desire to be closer with the Father? No. Uh, Desire to, to be closer to the Word of God? No, he was the Word of God. Why would Jesus fast? Same reason Jesus was baptized, to give us an example to follow. And so, again, we, we have to look at and model what Jesus did. Now, we get into some deeper theological questions. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, was there a possibility that Jesus could have sinned? Some say yes, some say no. The answer to that is no, Jesus could not have sinned. If Jesus could have sinned or had the proclivity to sin, then he would have no longer been God. If he were not God, this whole thing falls like a house of cards. Had Jesus had the ability to sin, and he would have, we would be toast. Like our one shot that we had in all of the universe throughout all of eternity is now gone. So he couldn't have been tempted so, why did Jesus allow himself to be tempted? I believe, now it's not in the scripture, so I'm just giving you my opinion on this. I believe he was giving us, again, an example to follow. Here's how you prepare for when temptation comes. And so, when we take a look at fasting, or when we take a look at testing, Testing doesn't show God who we are. It shows ourselves and others who we are. Here's the thing. Keep this in mind. You don't ever have to prove anything to God. God already knows. I don't have to prove my devotion to God. God knows whether I'm devoted or not. Now, again, it's important to understand it doesn't mean you don't have to be obedient. Like, I don't have to go to church because God knows my heart. No, you need to be obedient. And if you're not obedient, God knows your heart that you're a disobedient, rebellious child. But testing always shows me who I am. It exposes my heart for what it truly is. When I say, hey, I'm going to fast all day today because I really want to be close with God. I desire the presence of God in my life. I desire righteousness in my life. And I'm going to fast for the next 24 hours, I'm not, I'm not going to eat today at all until breakfast tomorrow. And then at lunchtime, somebody says, hey, we're ordering pizza for lunch. You'd be like, I can't, I'm fasting. Oh, man, I was going to get that new shakaroni from Papa John's. Like, 
extra large, extra cheese, extra pepperoni. And you'd be like, shakaroni, man. Well, technically, I fasted for breakfast already today, right? So, man, put me down for this, shakaroni. You know what you just did? You just proved to yourself where your commitments lie. You just show what your priorities were. You didn't prove nothing to God. God already knew. And so it's important to understand that we never try to prove ourselves to God. We need to prove ourselves to ourselves many times. Sometimes we might need to prove to others, no, I'm going to do what's right, regardless of what it costs me. I want to obey God in every area of my life. Sometimes we might be brought through a time of testing to show other people what we're made of, but it's never for the benefit of God. And so fasting, again, as we've taken a look at it over the last couple of weeks, really exposes my heart for what it is. Like, do I really love Jesus more than a bag of Doritos? Or is that really what's going to take me off track today when I've chosen that I just want the presence of God in my life? Do I have a hungering and craving for God's word that when I sit down and I open the Bible and I say, hey, I'm not eating lunch today. I'm going to sit down with God's word and take that hour that I have or 45 minutes and really just immerse myself in the word of God. And I sit down and I take my phone and I put it face down and I spend some time in prayer, and I open up God's Word, and I pray, and I ask God to speak to me through His Word, and I mean, I get about 10 minutes in, and then I hear a buzz from my phone. Oh, I'm just going to ignore that. I go back to my reading, and then it buzzes again. It's just like, oh, well, maybe it's, maybe it's really important or something. And then you flip your phone over, and then come to find out, you know, the Bengals decided to trade their wide receiver for some guy on the 49ers, and you're like, no way, I think it's my fantasy football league. And you click the notification. You just proved what's important in your life. You couldn't take an hour away from scrolling through that, those notifications on your phone, and you didn't prove anything to God. God already knew your heart, but you proved to yourself where your priorities lie. And so fasting allows me to see what's real in my life and what's maybe what I want to be real in my life. And so times of testing don't prove anything to God. They prove to ourselves and they prove oftentimes to others what is the real deal. Testing doesn't show God who we are. It shows us who we are. I had the opportunity a, a couple of weeks ago to go out and see the F-22s take off. Oh, man, it was like a super cool experience. I got a video. You, you got to see It's only 30 seconds. You got to see this video. Uh, it's totally awesome. Carter, click it. Like, it just makes you proud of it. Like, look at that over diamond head. It's just like, I'm, man, God bless the USA. I want to sing Lee Greenwood right now, right? And there was one that took off, and the dude just like went straight up into the clouds, like hooked right. And it was just like, that is one of the most advanced war fighting machines on the planet. And I just got to see like 10 in a row of them take off. Uh, and then afterwards, I got to take my, get my photo taken. Well, you got to see this. Like, look at that. Like, hold your applause. But like, like, and like, you know me, I hate social media with every fiber of my being, but like, I kind of want to post that as my profile photo, you know? <laughs> Advanced Christ honoring war fighting machine next to like, okay, 
a little too far. But <laughs> it was incredible. And what, what I got to be a part of is their exercises. I got to watch their exercises that they do. And basically, they had a, a pilot briefing before uh, they flew. And basically, one group of guys was going to be the bad guys. And then the other group of guys is going to be the good guys. And the good guys were tasked with making sure this particular perimeter stayed secure and people couldn't get in there. And so you got the good guys versus bad guys. And uh, they had a meeting prior that morning for a couple of hours and talked about the tactics that they were going to use to try to breach the perimeter. And then the other guys got together and figured out how they were going to defend the perimeter. And these guys went out like they were fighting against each other. Why? Because they realize we need to test this out to see if this really works or not. We need to try this out to see whether or not we can do what we think we can do. And so testing always proves what's real and what's not real. Trials, temptations, and testing only magnifies what's already there. Your trial that came in your life didn't make you a terrible person. You had a wicked heart before then. I've known people before like, oh, my, my divorce ruined me. I've just been a bitter, angry person since my divorce. I'm going to tell you the divorce wasn't the problem. Your heart has been the problem all along. The divorce probably exposed that for what you truly are. But by the same token, you got a person who has overwhelming joy in their life. Man, when they go through a trial... That joy gets magnified, and you see it for what it is. And so the, the testing and the temptation doesn't cause you to be a person. The person that you are is the person that you are. This trial or testing only exposes it. Outstanding book that every Christian should read, probably one of the top five favorite books that I've ever read, uh, is Changed Into His Image by Jim Berg. It's a phenomenal book if you're looking for a, a man. And basically the idea is that real lasting change takes place from the inside out. It's a phenomenal book. I read it 20 years ago before I had an organized discipleship uh, guide. I would take guys through this particular book. It's just phenomenal. But the premise of the book starts early on in probably the first couple of chapters. He says, when you take a tea bag and you put it in hot water, the contents of the tea bag come out. And it's not the hot water's fault for what comes out. It's what's inside the tea bag. And the, the, the analogy there was that our hearts are full of whatever they're full of. And when trials come, that exposes what's already in our hearts. And so... Testing, trials, temptations will magnify what we already see. And so, again, it just exposes us for who we truly are. Uh, when the uh, COVID initially happened in, the, in like March uh, timeframe of 2020, when we uh, began talking about like, hey, I don't think we're going to be able to meet next Sunday is the end of March of 2020. Uh, my, my first thought, again, because I'm a, a worry wart and sometimes have a lack of faith, no lie, the first 10 minutes that I heard, we might not be able to meet next Sunday, it was just like, well, we can't do this for too many weeks. You can't just, like, be a church and, like, not meet for six weeks. Like, if we take, like, three months off, like, we might come back and not have a church anymore. And then the more that I thought and the more that I prayed, I thought, first of all, it's not my church, it's God's church. Second of all, if we really believe what we say we believe, we'll be around three months from now, three years from now, 30 years from now, because it's what we really believe. And so uh, I kind of got my, my head and my heart straight with that uh, really quick. <laughs> I'll never forget, um, Anton works in healthcare, and uh, we had this meeting with a bunch of the, the guys in our church, we're talking through it, and again, this was the end of March 2020, and Anton goes, 
Pastor, they're saying this thing could stretch all the way to October of this year. I go, dude, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. No way. Six months? This is not going to last six months. Like, you can't be wearing masks like six months from now. That's just like crazy talk, right? Oh, little did we know, right? I mean, six months would have been nice, wouldn't it? That would have been nice. But again, my fear then came to the people in our church that were on the fence, you have some people that are maybe new in their faith, maybe been here at the church for maybe uh, 90 days or less, that are trying to figure this whole thing out, their faith. Will they be here six weeks from now? Will they be here 12 weeks from now? I don't know. Uh, there are some people who uh, had been walking with God and had a good track record of that, but lately had fallen into to sin or just apathy or lack of care for the things of God. Man, would this be the thing that tipped them over the edge? Oh, man, I was fearful. And I, I praise God that many of the people that were on that list, and I mean, no lie, uh, again, this is just how my brain works. I made a list of people that I thought were at risk, not from like losing their job or losing their house or things like that. We were really fine-tuned to, to who had needs at that point. But I made a list of people that I thought were spiritually at risk, that this could be really detrimental to their faith, and they could lead one way or the other. And I just began to pray for those people more intently, began to reach out and check in on them, see how they're doing, and uh, things like that. And of that, there were probably 12 people on that list. Probably three of them actually fell away from the Lord, fell away from church, and uh, are even out of church even today. Nine out of those 12 dug in deep uh, and like, man, this is our faith. Why would we walk away? Hey, everybody goes through difficult times. Why would we quit on the Lord? And I was encouraged that during that time, the people that I thought were at risk actually came out on the other side of that stronger in their faith. Why? Because the testing didn't push them in or out of church. Testing just exposed what was in their heart already. And the people who really wanted to walk with Jesus weren't going to be deterred from watching online services for 12 weeks. Man, they were chomping at the bit to get back to church. The people that were looking for any excuse to miss church, man, they got the excuse of a lifetime, didn't they? And there were people, man, 18 months later, well, I'm really trying to, to play, it play it safe and I don't want to be in, in large crowds. And the same people are like, I can't be in church. There's too many people there. It's like, man, we'll, we'll make you a seat in the atrium. You can sit outside if you want to. You can sit in the back corner. Nobody will bother you. You can sit away from it. No, I just get really nervous being around people. I go to Sam's Club on a Saturday afternoon at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and they're pushing a cart through Sam's Club. It's just like, wait, 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 wait. Like, Sam's Club it was like a madhouse in there. And then I realized, oh, I see. This wasn't really about keeping your health safe. It was about exposing what was already in your heart. That's what testing and trials do. And so for you and I, when we go through times of difficulty, when we go through times of testing, it's going to show us what we really are. Fasting is one of those times of testing. It shows you what's already in your heart. It shows me, do I really crave the presence of God? Do I really crave the Holy Spirit being magnified in my life so that people see love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance? Or do I really just want to get this whole thing over so I can eat lunch like normal people do? And so, again, it begins to show us who we really are in ways that other things can't do. It's also important to note that testing is not a time of punishment either. Sometimes think, people think that we go through trials as a, a punishment from God. Now, mark it down. If you're a child of God, 
you will go through chastisement when you've disobeyed God, guaranteed. But Jesus went through this period of temptation by the devil. And what was the last thing his father said to him? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus didn't go through temptation because he had made God angry. He didn't do it as punishment. He did it to give us an example that temptation is coming 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Be ready for it. And so, again, we always try to, to figure out why things are the way that they are, right? If you remember, the apostles tried to do the same thing. This isn't unique to you and I trying to figure God out. Or, hey, what's God doing here? Why did God do that? And, uh, is this chastisement? Is this God's wrath? Is this punishment? Is this an opportunity to grow? The apostles came across a boy who had been blind since birth. Remember that story? And they said, hey, Jesus, whose sin was it? Was it the boys or his parents? Because again, we got to, as human beings, our mind wants to draw lines, right? And we need to draw a line between this blindness and these people's sin somehow. Whose sin was it? Was it the boys or his parents? And Jesus said what? Neither. He received this, why? So that God would be glorified. Oh, so maybe you go through a time of testing, a time of trial, not because God is angry, not because God's chastising you, but that God actually is seeking glory for himself through you in this time of testing. So again, we've got to make sure that we keep our hearts right with that. For God's strength, you've got to get this. This is really important. For God's strength to be maximized, our strength must be minimized. John chapter 3, verse number 30. John the Baptist said what? He must increase, I must decrease. The Apostle Paul says, I got a thorn in my flesh, I got to get rid of it. I prayed to God three times that he would take it from me. But God said no because he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Why? Because my strength is made perfect in your, help me, weakness. There you go. So fasting is a way for me to purposely make myself weak. Purposely do without the things that I, quote, need. I mean, I need to eat lunch. I mean, I don't know if you're like me, but like I'm 30 minutes past when I thought I was going to eat, and I need to eat like right now because I am starving. I am so hungry. And then my hungry turns to angry, and it becomes hangry, Right? Because i got to eat right now. You're not going to die. You're not going to starve to death. You just need to chill out and focus on what's important. Fasting, when we do it on purpose, when we have a reason behind it, man, it's okay for me to skip a meal. I just want to be with Jesus. I just want to spend time in the Word. I just want to allow the Word to speak to my heart directly. Man, I want to hear from God. I don't hear from God by sitting in a room with my, ear, my eyes closed, waiting and listening to the voices of the universe. No, no, I hear from God by plugging into his word and meditating on his word, allowing God to speak to me. Man, I don't need a hamburger from McDonald's right now. I need to hear from God. I don't need a milkshake from Jack in the Box. I need to hear from God right now. I don't even need a 12-piece nugget from Chick-fil-A. I need to hear from God right now. Again, priorities. It exposes what's really important to me. 
And so when we take a look at that, when we're facing spiritual opposition, we have to put ourselves 100% at the mercy of God. Resting in not our own strength or how tough I am or how strong I am, how much I can knuckle up. Because you and I can do anything for a, a period of time. I mean, I can, you know, not eat a certain food for a couple of days or not eat a certain type of drink, a certain type of drink for a couple of days. But going like a long period of time, that's hard. You can't, look, you can't do this life in your own strength. You can for a minute and then at some point you realize, I don't have what it takes. I'm like at the end of my rope. I have no strength left in me. And then at that point you realize that God wants to bring you to a place of minimal strength so that he can maximize his strength. Fasting, get this. Fasting drives us to Scripture. Again, if I'm just skipping lunch because I got busy today, I'm skipping lunch because I went from one meeting to the next and I didn't have time to stop and grab something to eat, that's one thing. That's not fasting. But fasting is say, I'm taking this time that I would normally eat today and I'm going to meditate on a particular verse, maybe a sin that I'm struggling with or a temptation that I'm struggling with. I'm going to meditate on that verse and I'm going to focus on my relationship with God. And I have this sin in my life that has gotten my number, and the devil keeps calling it. I keep picking up every time, but I'm done with it. I want to walk in repentance. I'm going to fast today and ask God to give me the strength to say no. God, you promise in your word that if temptation comes, you'll always make a way of escape. God, help me to choose the way of escape. Man, I'm not eating lunch today because I want to be done with this sin for good. And I need you to give me the power and the strength to look for the escape, not look for an opportunity. But fasting eventually drives us to Scripture. You take a look at when Jesus is tempted. Three times he's tempted, and what does he answer with all three times? Somebody help me. Scripture. Jesus doesn't say, oh, I don't think that's a great idea, devil. Well, you know... I don't want to do that. God probably wouldn't be very pleased with me. No, every single time he says, I can't do that because God's word says this. <laughs> well, you know, after work, a bunch of the guys are going out with some of the ladies that we work with and we're going to have a couple of beers. You want to go with us? I'm sorry, I can't. Now, you don't have to tell people this, but the Bible says that I shouldn't follow a multitude to do evil. I can't do that. Man, people are going to think you're a jerk, or people are going to think you're not cool. Man, I have to remember that I want to please God more than I want to please these guys. And so I have to remember in Scripture in my brain. Hey, when a, a brother or sister in Christ comes to me and says, Hey, man, I haven't seen you in church in the last couple weeks. Is everything okay? I don't need to get upset and angry with them and go, Mind your own business, man. I'm doing my own thing. Hey, man, buzz off. I'm, I'm worshiping with Jesus out on the waves in Waikiki by Diamond Head. And as the waves crash over the shore and I look up at Diamond Head and I see the sun over the top, man, that's worship for me, bro. Don't judge me. I need to remember that a fool hates instruction. I need to remember that a fool hates reproof. And I need to humble myself and say, is this wisdom? This sounds like wisdom to me worshiping on a surfboard in the middle of the ocean while everybody else is gathering together as the local New Testament, New Covenant church. That sounds like foolishness, doesn't it? I want to walk in wisdom. 
I want to walk circumspectly. You know what that word means? It means you have a 360-degree view of everything that's going on. You know, where everything is and what's taking place around you because you're walking with full vision of everything that's going on. You see the problem with many Christians, they have blind spots. And so maybe for me as I begin to fast, I need to memorize scripture that talks about working circum, walking circumspectly. Maybe I need to memorize verses that talk about walking in wisdom. Maybe if I struggle with alcohol, I need to remember what Ephesians says, that I should be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but I should be filled with the Spirit. Maybe if I'm not filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, I'm going to memorize the fruit of the Spirit. That in my life, man, my meditation today, I'm going to skip lunch and I'm going to continually meditate on the fact that I want to be a man of love. What does that look like in my life if I'm a man of love? I want to be a man of joy. What does it look like for me to have joy? When was the last time that I had joy? And I'm going to take that hour at lunchtime, and I'm going to allow God's word to examine my heart and examine my life and drive me back to Scripture. And when somebody says something at work that, that just grinds my gears and I think of the perfect thing to say and just want to pop off, I'm going to stop myself because I just spent an hour with Jesus at lunchtime today, and I just want to be a man of long-suffering. And so I can say, Hey, man, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I didn't, I didn't mean anything by that. Hey, if I was wrong, I apologize. I want to I work to be a better man. Would you forgive me? I don't know about you, but I usually think of like the best comebacks, like I'm on my way home like two hours later. It's just like, oh, I should have said this. <laughs> mm, a man of long suffering doesn't do that. So again, I want to drive back to Scripture. I want Scripture to expose my heart. I want Scripture to inform my heart. God's word, when it comes to the armor of God, is the only offensive weapon that we have. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about our, our feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel, how we take upon ourselves the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. In Scripture, there's typically two different types of shields that would be used. There's the buckler, which is one of my favorites because, it's first of all, it's a cool word. Second of all, it's a shield that's... Uh, Fairly small in size, when you think of the buckler, you can think of kind of a Captain America shield, if you will, uh, to be worn on the arm. It could deflect enemy blows. It could definitely uh, maybe block arrows, if you will, but it could also be used, if necessary, as an offensive weapon to hit with or to push with. And in Ephesians 6, it speaks of the shield of faith, but this shield isn't a buckler. It's actually almost a three-quarter size, body size shield that would be placed on the ground that one would hide behind in the onslaught of the enemy offense. That's the type of shield that you got. You only had one weapon in the entire armor of God that we're given that we can actually use to hit people with and to kill with. And that was the sword of the spirit, which is the, help me, the word of God. So friend, if you're getting ready to fight temptation, you have one tool and one tool only. And it's not white knuckling. It's not a mantra that you're going to say, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. It's not going to be, you know, avert your mind or, or think of something else. It's going to be the Word of God 100% of the time. <clears throat> you see, the world wants to give behavior modification because they don't have anything else to offer. You know, if you're angry, stop before you say something hurtful and count to 10. 
Okay, I'm going to delay my hurtful comment by 10 seconds. <laughs> it, it is, you're only slowing down the conversation, right? Wait 10 seconds before you speak. That doesn't do any good. Oh, when you're faced with temptation, try to think of something else. You know, uh, think of, you, you know, your favorite hike that you've ever been on. Think about your favorite vacation when temptation comes your way. You're just trying to modify your behavior. You know what the Bible says? Turn to the Word of God, be filled with the Spirit of God, and flee temptation. Run from it. Get away. That's what the Bible says. And you and I have the ability to say no. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and God gives us a promise that will always make a way of escape. So use the Word of God. This is how we prepare for temptation. Look, if you're tempted by pornography, you need to make yourself a three-by-five card list of verses that you're going to meditate on, that you're going to fast with to face temptation. That the second your mind begins to wonder, you're going to say, oh man, God's word says I need to flee youthful lust. I'm going to do that. Man, the temptation is still there. It didn't go away with just flee youthful lust. And so I'm going to remember, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Man, this is precisely why Jesus died, so I don't have to look at this garbage for the rest of my life. But that only comes if we're prepared. What, are you going to be tempted to look at pornography or tempted to say something inappropriate to a coworker and stop for a second and start flipping through the Bible to look for a verse? You're not going to do that, and you know that. So Jesus, now he had an advantage over us. He was the word of God. He didn't have to look up any verses or pull out the scrolls from Deuteronomy and memorize verses and things like that. But he had verses at the ready. He already knew in the devil what he was going to say, what he was going to answer back with. And you and I need to be in the same case. Again, if you struggle with anger, make yourself a, a list of verses to memorize and meditate on. Make no friendship with an angry man. Did you know that that's actually a command from God's word? And if I'm an angry man, God commands other Christians to not be friends with me. That should cause me to step back and go, I'm a terrible Christian. This needs to change. Make no friendship with an angry man, with a furious man, man thou shalt not go. That's God's wisdom. Maybe I need to spend some time and skip lunch today and get alone with God and get in his word and memorize and meditate on scripture. Again, Jesus, when he was tempted, always responded with scripture. Three verses from the book of Deuteronomy. And at the end of the day, he said this when he was hungry after fasting for 40 days, I don't need lunch today. I just need to hang my life on the word of God. And look, every time you fast and you get hungry and your stomach rumbles and maybe you feel a little bit weak or lightheaded, again, take care of your health for sure. Don't pass out and hurt yourself or hit your head. That would be bad. But when my stomach begins to rumble, I think to myself, man, I'm hungry. I need to remember. I'm not sustained by the food that I eat. I'm sustained by the word of God. And man, I don't need a sandwich as much as I need to hear from God today in my life. We need to remember that fasting fosters dependence on God. <laughs> it's interesting to know, think about this for a second. Again, Jesus couldn't have sinned if he had wanted to. But again, I believe that Jesus gave us an example of how to fast. 
But when Jesus was in the wilderness, if he decided that he wanted to end his fast, where does he go? He's in the wilderness. Another word for desert. There's no water out there. Again, even at the end of his 40-day fast, Satan comes and tempts him three times. He withstands that temptation. If you take a look at verse number 11, what happened? The angels came and ministered to him. Why? He's in the middle of the desert with no food, no water. He hasn't had anything for 40 days, and he has stood the devil face to face. Look, he had no other place to turn but to God. Jesus didn't lay aside his deity. He was 100% man when he came here. But he laid aside the prerogatives of his deity. He still got tired. He still got hungry. After 40 days of no food, no water, the guy was ready to collapse because he was a man like you and I, supernaturally sustained by God for sure. But at the end of it, he didn't walk out of the wilderness on his own two feet. He needed messengers from God that came to his aid. (coughs) So we see that God often drives us to places where he's the only place that we can turn. I talked with a young lady this morning that was going through a really rough spot, really bad spot. And she said, I don't really know what to do. I'm trying to do this. It's not working. I'm trying to do that, and it's not working. You know, I thought about moving back to the mainland to be with my parents, and they're in kind of a transition and don't have a place to stay right now for themselves. They don't have a place for me. And she was just like, I just, I'm in a bad spot. And I told her this. God often drives us to places where he's the only thing that we have to show us that he's the only thing that we need. And I believe in this time, your parents aren't going to be able to bail you out of this. You're not going to be able to bail yourself out of this. The only person that can see you through this, one person and one person only, and that's God. And you've got to lean on him like you've never leaned on him before in your entire life. He's going to have to be real to you right now in a way that he's never been real to you before. Because God drives us to those places where he's all that we have. God forces us to a desert or wilderness place where I can't call my mom and dad to help me out. I can't call my neighbor to come over and give me a hand. I can't call somebody else in my church family to to fix up the mess that I'm in. The only person that can do it is God. I'm just going to have to trust him through this. Again, last year when my daughter Makila was in the hospital, you know, we had some of the best doctors in the world that were seen for care, and we prayed and gave it to God. There wasn't anything we could do about it. Many of the people in our church family were praying and were concerned and were sending notes of encouragement to McKeeley and stuff like that. But, man, we couldn't change any of that stuff if we wanted to. We just got to trust God through this. Now, if I couldn't trust God, let me just tell you, I'd want to know, hey, what's the name of this doctor? Where did he go to school? Can you send me a copy of his transcripts? Is this guy even a good guy? I'd be reading, you know, WebMD trying to figure out how I could self-diagnose my kid and stuff like that. And I'd be taking all of her charts and, you know, faxing them to people and having them look, read through her charts and find out, hey, let's get a second opinion, a third opinion, a fourth opinion. Maybe we could fly her out to the best children's hospital in the world and have her looked at. But hey, look, none of that fixes anything because the only person that could see us through that was God. That was it. And I believe that God used medical professionals around her. God used a lot of wisdom that he had given those people to help treat her. But at the end of the day, I knew this. Can't nobody help my baby girl except for God. And I'm just going to have to trust him through this. And sure, we fasted, we prayed, but we trust God through it, and God brought her through it. But no, this is really important that some of you need to get this. 
God wasn't the last card that we played. It was the first card that we played. And people get mixed up there sometimes. Oh, man, I've tried to do this. I've tried to do that. I've done it this way. I've done it that way. I asked this person for help. They couldn't help that I guess I'm just going to have to give it to God. Well, that's where you messed up. You should have given it to God first and then allowed God to do the work. Fasting allows me to clear out all that other garbage and say, hey, I don't even need to eat lunch today. I don't need to even eat dinner tonight. I just need God to come through in my life in a way that he never has before. And if I, if I can't just miss a couple of meals, that's going to expose something that's in my heart as well. The wilderness and fasting both lay bare the contents of our heart and being alone causes us to lean on someone or something. Man, we live in a world today where we just, we struggle to be alone, don't we? Again, every app under the sun is a way for you to connect to other people. Either in real life through some dating app or a hookup app or uh, through other people through social media or through uh, some type of messenger program. We just can't stand the thought of being alone. Even when we're not trying to make connections with other people, we can't even be alone with our own thoughts. Again, if I'm standing in line somewhere, I'm going to be scrolling something on my phone or reading a book on my phone or uh, checking the news for today or seeing what the weather's going to be for tomorrow. It's a shock in Hawaii. It's always 75 to 85 with a chance of rain. I don't even know why I look at my weather app anymore, right? It just is what it is. But we've always got to be connected to something. But man, let me just tell you, it's empowering to just like turn your phone on do not disturb and like don't pick it up for like three or four hours. And the first couple of times I did it, I thought, man, I don't want to go back to my phone. It's going to be full of, you know, all these notifications and it's going to be more stressful when I pick it back up. And so... I turned my phone off for like three hours and went over to the mall and uh, did some shopping with, with my daughter, Makila. I came back and I thought, man, I don't even want to see what's on my phone. I turn it on and then, bing, notification comes in. I was like, oh, what did I miss? And I look, six-inch subs at Subway are $1 off this week if you get the potato chips. Oh, that's what I missed? But yet I, I felt like I was missing out on something. Why? Because we don't like the thought of being alone. And for some of us to sit for an hour with God's word with our phone turned off or our phone in a different room, just spending time with God is difficult because we've got to be connected with other people. Even video games that people play these more these days, it's not like Mike Tyson's punch out where you just try to like get through the different levels and you know you finally get to fight Mike Tyson. All these games today are interconnected. If you're on the internet, if you're playing a game of basketball, you're playing basketball with some kid in Oregon, you know, who stayed up too late and found a couple of cuss words that he wants to use at school this week, you know? Why? Because it's this, this force to make these awkward, impersonal, unreal connections with other people instead of healthy, real eyeball-to-eyeball connections that God designed. So this idea of going to a wilderness place, shutting everything out and just being alone with God is kind of a foreign concept to people. It doesn't, doesn't make sense. You know, the thought that you could, like, go get a cabin out in, like, Oklahoma... And sit for a week without internet, like, how, how do people do that? Like, how did our founding fathers live without high-speed internet connections, you know? They made it. But fasting, again, takes us to that wilderness place where I don't even need food today. I just need to be alone with God. Fasting is a brief, voluntary experience of wilderness deprivation to prove our hearts. Again, fasting 
is purposely taking myself out to the wilderness and denying myself. Hey, I could eat today, but I'm choosing not to. Hey, I could be around other people today, but I don't need that right now. I just need some alone time with God. I need some personal worship time. I need some quiet time, just me, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God. Man, that's, that's all I need today. You hungry? <laughs> yeah, I'm hungry, but that can wait. I, I need to hear from God today. I'm purposely shutting things out and turning stuff off so that I can hear from God. Because here's what I know. Temptation's coming tomorrow. I gotta be ready for it. Temptation's probably gonna come tonight before I get the opportunity to go to bed. I gotta be ready for it. And one of the ways that I do that is I fast, I pray, I spend time in the Word of God, I meditate on the Word of God, I memorize Scripture, I build up a cache of weaponry that I'm going to use. Think about this. If we send our soldiers into battle, hey, we want you to go, to go fight the enemy. Here is a nine millimeter and one clip. Go get her done. He'd be like, how many is in this clip? Like, how many guys am I going to fight today? You would say that that guy was unprepared for battle. What does he need? He needs more than one weapon is at his disposal. He needs the ability to have additional magazines and to reload. He needs to have supply points along the way so that he can, can replenish himself. He needs rest points along the way to stop and get rest. Man, battle's tough. So when you go to battle with the devil tomorrow against temptation and you got flee youthful lust is all you got, man, that's a weak battle plan right there i got to make sure that I've got brothers and sisters enlisted in the fight. Hey, could you pray for me this week? i got this thing going on at work, and I'm tempted to like, go off on these people, and I just want to walk in the Spirit. Could you pray for me this week? I'm enlisting battle buddies to go with me in the fight. Hey, here's my plan of attack. Here's how I'm going to handle the situation. What are your thoughts on that? Hey, here's a verse that God gave me on this. Now, let me just tell you this. If you're reading the Word of God, and God uses a Bible verse to illuminate something in your life, that's God giving you a verse, and don't be ashamed to say that. Hey, my personal worship time this morning, God gave me this verse, and I'm going to take it and run with it. It gets problematic when you say things like, I had a dream last night when I was asleep, and I saw the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man from Ghostbusters, and God gave me a word to just stay fat and stay strong. Yeah, that's not really a word from God, okay? But man, if you, if you get a Bible verse, take it and run with it. And we have to ask ourselves at the end of the day, this is what it's all about. Is God sufficient and is Jesus enough? The answer to that, obviously, yes. <laughs> Does anybody disagree with that statement? No hands go up, right? But tomorrow morning when you face temptation, the question is going to come, is God sufficient and is Jesus enough? And tonight you say, yes. Tomorrow morning you're like, ah, but it's so hard. It does, it's not going to be hard if you've prepared ahead of time for the battle. Again, tomorrow, some of you are going to walk into an ambush with no training, no preparation. And yet you're going to say, oh, pastor, pray for me, man. I just, I fell into sin. You don't fall into sin like you fall in a ditch when you're not paying attention where you're walking. You choose to sin and you chose to not have a battle plan going in because you knew you'd face temptation. So I'm trying to help you to prep for battle. You do that by mega-dosing on the Word of God, memorizing, meditating Scripture. You do that by clearing out all the distractions and really getting some alone time with God. And you walk in the Spirit because 
God is sufficient and Jesus is enough. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m.